Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by my Thunder Buddy from L.A., for various nights, Joe Masato. Joe, how are you doing on this Friday afternoon? I, I am losing track of the day, so thank you for reminding me that it's Friday. I, I've been in Los Angeles for a long time, taking up a secondary residency here, going to another basketball game tonight, such is life. Nice. Well, um, I saw this on Twitter, and I wanted to get your, um, I don't know, opinion on this or take on this. I thought this was hilarious, but this is from Kaylin at, at Kaylin Ashley on Twitter, who said that she took her eight-year-old nephew to a Thunder meet-and-greet earlier this year, and this exchange happened. Her nephew um, asked... Mark, do you get to coach Josh Giddy? Mark said, yes, I do. The nephew asked, what's that like? And Mark said, I'm always yelling at him. And the nephew <laughs> said, really? And Mark said, really? That was the entire <laughs> encounter. I'm sure Mark was smiling during that, but I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah, Mark uh, Mark has a good sense of humor. It's one of the things I appreciate about him. So uh, that, that's that's pretty good. Just constantly yelling at him. But we got a tale of two different Clippers games Last night, the uh, Clippers came up big and beat the Thunder 127 to 105, but that was completely different the other night earlier on Tuesday when the Thunder won 101 to 100. We didn't get a chance to talk about that game, so I just wanted to touch on that very quickly about what it was like in the arena for you. Um, from the, uh, from Tuesday the Tuesday one first, yes. Yeah, well... I'm I'm trying not to have my uh, memories shrouded by by last night because two two very very different games. I thought the main takeaway from Tuesday night is like the Clippers just came out swinging and looked like they just wanted to like set the tone and obliterate the Young Thunder, and they did at first. It was eighteen to four, but then the Thunder responds with a nineteen to four run uh, to take a first quarter lead. So like just like that, the the game flipped and. Um, Thought it was a, a really gutty performance uh, by by the Thunder to to get the win there. Obviously, a horrible situation near the end of the game with Paul George going down and he misses the game last night, and it looks like he's going to miss the rest of the regular season. Um, but yeah, and then an intense game two nights ago, an intense game last night for a half, and then it just snowballed because the Clippers made about every three pointer they put up. And Kawhi was brilliant, and um, the second half was was a wrap. Yeah, the Clippers were due for a good three-point shooting night. I think they really struggled from the three-point line in the other three games that they played against the Thunder. So statistically, it was going to even out. Unfortunate that it happened against the Thunder. And then um, Kawhi Leonard looked like he took it very personally, all the Dorcher Chamber comments and things after he uh, was unable to get a shot off on Tuesday night. But he was unreal, as you were talking about um, last night. Did did you see that that Ty Lu said Dorcher Chamber? I did. Like, I I've never I <laughs> I uh I've never heard an opposing coach uh, use that term. I, I've never heard uh, Mark Dignall use that term. And um, 
you know, it's a funny thing I see on Twitter, but I, I, I don't even say that. So, so to, to see Ty Lue say that was quite funny. Um, you know, Dort obviously had the, the standout game stealing defensive stop against Kawhi two nights prior. I, I really have never seen anything like that where one guy dribbles for the duration of the shot clock and can't even get a shot off. Um, and it's not like just a guy doing that. It's Kawhi Leonard, one of the best, um, players in the game of basketball but uh the the uh the saving grace from Dort the other night was that defensive stop because he didn't shoot the ball well last night also didn't shoot the ball well one of 11 and uh the game got out of hand so there was a there was unfortunately no need for the thunder to have a uh, a game ceiling stop so um I know a lot of people are complaining about Dort's offense but you know just look at uh two nights before when he won the game for the thunder with his defense, but I, um, the torture chamber stuff, I found very amusing. I mean, good lord, Kawhi Leonard, 32 points, 13 of 15 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3. He just, I, I tweeted this out, there are nights like this when Kawhi plays at this level, you're like, yeah, I understand why they let him do whatever he wants and like kind of manage his own injuries if he's going to play like this. Well, yeah, and it's, you know, it does make you think that. However, like, the... The whole situation has just yeah. kind of been a mess for four years now. But it was it was a big performance from Kawhi because, you know, things are getting kind of dire for the Clippers. Like their worst case scenario is falling into that play in morass. I mean, they they wanna they wanna clinch a, a playoff spot without having to mess with any of that. And with Paul George going down, that makes that task a lot harder. So Kawhi, it's like now or never. Like you got to be the guy, and you really got to be the guy with without Paul George out there. And first, uh, not obviously not the first time he's played without Paul George, but um, first game after that injury, he just came out and I mean started seven of seven from the field. J Dub couldn't do anything. Dork couldn't do anything. Um, just uh, he he just picked the Thunder apart. Yeah, he did. I mean, it reminded me of like when you're playing with your older brother or an uncle or something like that in a video game and you beat them and you start to talk trash to them and all of a sudden they sit up in their chair. And that's what it felt like with Kawhi after the game on Tuesday night. It's like, oh, okay, we're really playing now. And he just destroyed everybody out on that floor. Can I uh, mention one more thing? One more takeaway from these two games that surprised me? Okay. Um, Russell Westbrook's playing some some pretty good basketball. Like he he impressed me Tuesday night, and I thought he had a really good game again Thursday night. Excuse me, it was like um Tuesday night. Clearly, I think there was extra motivation playing his former team. It's like okay, Shay, I've heard you're the new guy, everything like that. And you know, Shay obviously got the the best of him in the Clippers, and um uh, more times than not. But like Russ played with that extra edge, uh, even more so than he normally does. And you know, last night I, I thought he had a pretty good game overall. He still, you know, makes some of those head scratching drives um, to the rim and flails his arms, and it results in a turnover. Um, but like so far, so good with this Clippers experiment. I thought it was a disastrous decision. Um, you know, their their record hasn't been good, but I don't think that's because of the Russ edition, he's actually been quite good. Um, so, uh, yeah, shout out shout out to the old friend Russell Westbrook. I'm glad you uh, talked about that. I thought that was a good point. Uh, Russ 
was really good the last couple of games. Um, there was always the meme stat going around that they like lost their first like five when he was on the roster after the buyout market, which wasn't entirely his fault. But I'm glad that he's kind of found a softer landing and found a role. I know that you talked to, I think, Shea after the game who had something nice to say about Russ, right? Yeah, he was like, he's one of the greatest competitors ever in, in the game. And um, that was in response to a, a quote that Mark Dignall had. And uh, I'll pull it up. He, I'll pull it up here real quick and and read it because um, I thought it was I thought it was quite insightful because, listen, it's hard to compare Russell Westbrook and Shea Gilgis Alexander. I mean, I was talking about this last night, but like, yes, they're both now franchise icons for the Thunder. They are both guards. They both like uh, expensive clothing. But other than that, their play styles are different. Their personalities are different. Their leadership qualities are different. Um, but Dagnalt drew um, drew a comparison between the two when it comes to their competitiveness. He said, this is Dagnalt before the game. The greatest strength Westbrook has, in my opinion, he does not discriminate in a competitive environment. It does not matter who he's playing against. There's no external motivation there. Um, and then he goes on to say, Shea has a much different temperament, pause there, and is a much different person, but it's the same thing. There's never a night when I'm like, Shea didn't have it tonight or Shea's not on tonight. So, you know, everyone can see Russ's competitiveness. Like, I mean, unless you're like closing your eyes and plugging your ears. With Shea, he goes about it more quietly. Um, but I thought that was kind of a kind of a cool comp between two guys that obviously mean a ton of the organization, but you don't often like think of them at all in similar ways. No, completely different games. Couldn't be more different in a lot of ways other than fashion and playing in Oklahoma City, like you mentioned. But uh, that is a very, very cool thing for Mark to say. Um, Russell Westbrook, as we talked about earlier, was the last Thunder rookie to even um, get in the Rookie of the Year uh, conversation, which will transition us to talking about J-Dub, Jalen Williams. Is there a chance that he could even fit into the Rookie of the Year discussion and maybe win? I know different big names in NBA media, uh, media recently, such as Zach Lowe and J.J. Redick, have both raved about Jalen Williams and think the door is still open, but I just want to get your opinion on that. Is there a path? What would have to happen for J-Dub to walk away with that hardware? Well, about two weeks ago, I would have said no chance. Now I'm saying there is a chance, albeit a very slight one. There, There's a chance because of what you just said. Zach Lowe, J.J. Redick, Kevin O'Connor, like a lot of people are saying, hey, rookie of the year might not be over. This uh, Jalen Williams from Oklahoma City is making a late push. Just them saying that and other voters reading them, listening to them will also just now have that on their brain and look at it more than they would have. So that has definitely boosted J-Dub's um, chances. However, I, I I think he's a lock to finish second. I think maybe he picks up a handful of first place votes. I just have a hard time seeing um, not seeing Paolo win this because he's been the favorite kind of the whole season. And... Um, I, uh, I have a very sophisticated list holding it up now. It's a nice chart. One size says case for Paolo. One size, one size says case for J-Dub. Um, 
Should we get into a few of these? I'd love to hear it. Okay. Paolo? Okay, they've both played 67 games, so that makes this easy to start with. Paolo's averaging 34 minutes. J-Dub's averaging 30 minutes. Not a huge difference, but overall, I think it ends up Paolo's played about 200 more total minutes. Paolo's averaging 20 points per game. J-Dub's at 13.6. So Paolo, these are just raw numbers. Paolo has the edge there. Rebounds, 6.7 for Paolo, 4.5 for J-Dub. Point Paolo. 3.7 assists per game for Paolo, 3.2 for J-Dub. So points, minutes, points, rebounds, assists. Raw stats, easy to look at. Everyone understands those. Um, Those all go to Mr. Ben Caro of the Orlando Magic. Um, Stocks, I included uh, steals plus blocks. J-Dub's the better defensive player. Um, He has 1.8 stocks compared to Ben Caro's 1.4. So the raw stats all point to Paolo. And J-Dub's case is all about efficiency. And being a key piece, I would say a top three player on an almost 500 team. Um, J-Dub is shooting 52% compared to Paolo's 43%. I mean, he's shooting like 70% at the rim. Um, but like that that's basically the argument right there. He's been a very, very efficient scorer. And he's become a reliable defender. Like, you know, even though Shea's made this huge defensive jump, Mark Dignall puts Lou Dort on the primary option, and he puts J-Dub on the secondary option as far as, like, these apex wings. Um, so so that's J-Dub's case, really. Um, with, with Paolo, 27.4% usage rate. For context, that's right in between Shea and Giddy. Um, J-Dub, 18.1% usage rate. On the Thunder, that's behind SGA, Giddy, and other guys who haven't played a lot. But just for context, Trey Mann, Poku, Dario Saric, and Eugenio Marui all had a higher usage rate um, than J-Dub has had. And like that's what we've been talking about, like wanting J-Dub to, to be even more aggressive. So I find myself thinking back to this question. Like, I wish we could transpose these two players. Like, what would Paolo look like on the Thunder if he had J-Dub's role? I have no idea. It's hard to imagine him doing it as well as J-Dub's doing it. What would J-Dub look like on the Magic with Paolo's role? I also don't know. And I don't know if it would look as good as what Paolo's doing right now. So it's just like really, really hard. One guy has a huge role on a bad team. And that's going to come at the cost of efficiency. The other guy has a smaller role, but still a relatively big one on a good team. Good to average team. Um, but it's been great. So, um, sorry for wasting the last five minutes of your time, but had a lot of thoughts to get out on this one. Um, but that's kind of where I see, I, I just think the raw numbers and the role are too loud and, and too in favor of Paolo's, um, advantage. No, that was great. Just hearing you think out loud and sort of talk it out. <clears throat> I think it's similar, the J-Dub versus Paolo in a way to, um, Cade Cunningham versus, uh, Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes last year, especially Scotty Barnes, who ends up winning, where you have Cade Cunningham and Paolo, who are the guys who really produced gaudy numbers on really, really bad teams. And then you have guys like Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes, who had decent numbers to good numbers, but they were on playoff teams. So I wonder how many voters will kind of go in the same path. But then again, it is different because Paolo's start 
starting the season was balling, whereas Cade was like injured to start the season his rookie year. But J Dub has been awesome, and um, I don't know. I've heard people. You mentioned he's like a top three player on this team. I've heard people get as excited to say that he's been the second best player on this team this year. Have you seen that at all? I have. I don't know how I feel about that yet. Um, I'm I'm assuming we're going Giddy over Dort in this yes scenario. Okay, yeah, that that's how I feel as well. I I say top three to just be conservative. I I don't want to get too far out ahead of myself. Like, um, also I think sometimes we just like don't realize how good Josh Giddy has been for a twenty year old this season, still younger than Jalen Williams. Um. Overall, though, I think that that J Dub certainly uh, is likely to to pass Giddy as far as like that second most important guy or third, depending on what Chet is. But I don't know. Right now, I'll say top three. W- w- would you say top two? I think there have been different um, segments in the season of recent uh, play yeah. where he's been better. But I think Josh, I'd still take just the overall larger sample size of what he's done, and like you mentioned, at twenty years old. And just having a lot more responsibility because, like we mentioned with J Dub, the thing that we want more and more is more production, more usage, and Josh has been doing that, and he's been pretty effective doing it. But the last question I'll have on the J Dub front is, you know, you're a voter. What would you need to see from J Dub to kind of make it more interesting, or what do you think most voters would need to see in these last, I think, nine games? Yeah, I thought about that question. Um... I think the greatest thing for J-Dub's case is to, I mean, it, it's hard to expect him to play any better than he's playing right now. I I think what would benefit him the most is to keep playing as he is now and the Thunder keeps winning because, like, when you look at the difference in the team context, like, if the Thunder gets the six seed or, you know, the seven seed and everyone's everyone's talking about, oh, man, the can't believe the Thunder's in this spot. And then you think... One of the main reasons they're in the spot is because of Jalen Williams, the, this rookie who's really catapulted them. So I, I really think like the team's win loss record from now until the end of the season is going to be as important as anything for J Dub's case. When is the deadline for voting on stuff like that? Because I think we're, the NBA still does the award show technically, right? Yeah, I uh, I should know this, but I but I do not. Um... I think it's usually like the day after the last day of the regular season is when we have to submit our ballots. Hmm. Because they don't want anyone to be influenced by the playoffs. Well, that's interesting. Well, um, I know you and I have talked behind the scenes before that we're going to do something with the NBA awards later on, just getting in the mind of the voter, but that'll be a little tease for now. But I wanted to ask you also about the Thunder with a – issue or I don't know something situation that I saw kind of bubbling and that's threading the needle with development Mark Dagnall last week uh, in a presser talked about how competing and development don't have to be in two separate buckets and you can kind of do both at the same time he cited this season as an example where young guys like Ooze have gotten minutes but not necessarily at the detriment of winning but this is uh, but is this sustainable at this point as we get into bigger and bigger games like the Clippers won last night the Lakers won tonight where do you think that Mark is going to stay on this path, or do you think that there's going to be some maybe swing as they prioritize winning towards the end of the season? I don't know, but I think this is going to be the really interesting to watch how he handles this because my gut tells me they're not going to change anything up 
in the regular season. I think they're going to keep doing what they've been doing. They're going to keep playing Usman Jang. Heck, they might play Poku if he's, you know, he he's back with the team now. I have no idea, like, when he's going to suit up or when he's going to be ready um, to play or if he'll play. Um, but they could do something like that. They We've seen what they've done with Olivier Saar, a, a two-way player these last couple of games. So I don't think they're going to deviate from that because... Um, I think they're going to, they're going to keep doing the same thing. And if that gets them in the play in or the playoffs, that's great. But I don't think they're going to go like all in on, on shorter rotations until the play in. Now, when they get to a, a win or go home game, I can't imagine Usman Jang is going to be on the floor. Can't imagine Olivier Saar is going to be on the floor or, Jeremiah Robinson Earl is going to play seven minutes or Trey Mann's going to play six minutes. Like at that point, yeah, all the development stuff is, is fine. You've been doing that for, for a full season, but like when you're in a game that, that actually does matter, um, I would have to think they're going to shorten the rotation. Yeah. I don't want to sound super pessimistic because I still think the Thunder are in a very good position to make the play in, but I do wonder of, you know, too little, too late if you move to that later. And it's not like we're talking about this with 30 games remaining. It's only nine left. So I don't know. I think that's one of the bigger questions remaining for Mark is which way he goes with this. Yeah, and and it's tough because, like, I, I just don't think we're going to get, you know, it's not like he's going to try to deceive us, but they're, they're just not going to be open with that plan. Um, like... Last night, Dario Saric, we, we both think he's going to be in the rotation when when they're playing a game in the play-in or playoffs. But he didn't play two. He didn't play Tuesday night. He played three minutes Thursday night. So this is kind of what we're talking about, right? Like, can you just like flip that switch where he's not going to play fourteen minutes in a play-in game? Like, I I have no idea. I I I was kind of surprised he didn't he didn't play more. Maybe it was matchup something I just didn't see to where they wanted to go um, with Sar or even last night more with JRE than Sharich. But it, it's kind of a delicate balance that they're walking right now. Yeah, it's just, it's. Um, I understand what they're doing, but sometimes it's on an individual game basis. It's hard to understand like you talked about with, it's like Dario's been playing really well the last couple of weeks. Here's Olivier Sar on a two-way, <laughs> yeah. throwing him out there. So who knows with that, but I think it'll be very interesting, and hopefully we'll get more answers. I mean, like you said, I don't think Mark or Sam or anyone is going to outwardly say, okay, we're pivoting, we're going to start doing this, but maybe we'll get answers just in the form of just watching the team. Yeah, and it's harder now because like, the, the blue schedule is over. The the G League is over. Um, that's why Poku's being recalled. He played last night uh, in Henderson, Nevada, against the Ignite, and... Um, you know, now now there's no like, oh yeah, they're gonna we're gonna continue developing them. They're gonna go play with the blue. Now that's not an option. So, um, everyone's gonna be available, and and we'll see how it works out. To help build confidence for Poku, we have sent him to various open gyms around the metro. I I, I can't wait I, for I'm that not, statement. I, I'm not I'm not quite ready to to uh, I don't know if I'm mentally prepared for the return of Poku yet. It's tough, but you know it's it's inevitable. 
We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's inevitable. I don't it know is if inevitable. It, I don't know if it's inevitable this season, <laughs> but he will be back. But yeah, that that's hilarious. Uh, uh, but we'll get into playing it out. Nice little pun there. The Thunder currently sit um, in the like 11 and 12 spot tied, I'm pretty sure. Let me make sure on the standings here. Yes. There's like four teams at 36 and 37, and... Seven through twelve are like within a game of each other. It's just insane. Yeah, eight through eleven all have the exact same record, and that is uh, the Mavericks, Lakers, Pelicans, and Thunder. Yeah, but, uh, but Mike, which, which, which makes tonight a big one. Absolutely. So I wanted to ask you about you know the uh, Wolves are currently leading the pack. No pun intended, but they aren't far ahead of teams like the Mavericks, Lakers, Pelicans, Thunder, and Jazz. The seven seeded Wolves are. Separated only by one game from the 12 seed Jazz. Maybe I'll look stupid, but I'm going to go ahead and just count out the Jazz and say that with their next gauntlet of games where they play like Phoenix, Sacramento, and the Warriors will kind of decide their destiny. So we're left with four teams. Let's knock on wood, project a little bit. If the Thunder make the play in, I want you to rank those four teams of the Wolves, Mavericks, Lakers, and Pelicans in order of teams you would not want the Thunder to face if you want them to have a chance to you know, went on and go into the playoffs. Well, first off, I, I think all these puns uh, you've spouted off are are intentional. So uh, I'll just leave that there. I think you're probably right to to eliminate the Utah Jazz, but I I have been doing that, and and it's been a risky bet to this point. But like the Jazz and Pelicans, their schedule is like horrible. I mean, it is a gauntlet. So uh, yeah, Jazz are unlikely to be in that mix. But okay, so we've got uh, we've got Lakers, Mavs, Wolves, and Pels, right? Yes. Okay, I have I have two lists. I have another piece of paper. I have a personal list that's most entertaining. You know me; I love nothing if not a good story. And then I've got the best matchup for the Thunder. So I'm going to start with my my selfish list of who I'd want to see. And number one is the Los Angeles Lakers. Because, like, first off, you have the parallels of the first version of the Thunder kind of, you know, reaching that that point of that play-in series against the Lakers where that was kind of the arrival. Um, very different team context on both sides, but I really like that. Also, just like if the Thunder was hosting LeBron's back, Anthony Davis in a play-in game, it'd be insane. I'd love that. Second, Luca, just to just to watch the Luca Dort battle. Um, third, the Wolves. Fourth, the Pelicans. You can flip those if you want. I, I'm not really interested. Uh, I mean, it'll be fun, but like the the storylines aren't there really for for those two teams. Now, the best matchups. If I'm the if I'm the Thunder of Oklahoma City, the teams I would want to see in order. Number one is the Pelicans, which might not make sense because the Pelicans have given the Thunder a tough time this year. But, like, they've just been reeling. I mean, Zion probably won't be back. Jose Alvarado, Grand Theft Alvarado probably won't be back. And I I know hashtag not on Herb and and, uh, the trouble that he's given Shea, but I I just think they have less talent um, right now. Second would be the Wolves. Um, I, I like that matchup for the Thunder. Third team I would want to see, or second team I would not want to see, 
is the Mavericks just because Luka is one of those guys that could go out and, and get a win by himself. And I actually think the Lakers are the worst matchup strictly because I wouldn't want to see LeBron James um, in a in a winner-go-home game, much less Anthony Davis if he's out there. Um, the Lakers have been playing a lot better since the deadline. Um, they they have veteran experience, so um, that that's that's my order. That's my order. What, what what say you, Michael? I had a pretty similar one where I had the Pelicans first. As much as you know, we've talked about that they kind of had the Thunder's number this year. They've gone three and one against them. It's almost like a tale of completely two seasons with a clean break when Zion went out uh, went out, and it's like two different teams. So. It's hard yeah. to kind of evaluate what they were earlier in the season and then compare it to it now. I know Brandon Ingram's back. He just had last night a triple-double with zero turnover, so he's playing really good basketball. But just the weirdness of the Pelicans, I think that that would be the best matchup for the Thunder. And um, I enjoy the Herb Jones-Shea uh, matchup as much as um, I think that's a fun one, just like the Dort and uh, Luka one, although yeah, we'll see. And then next after that, I had a hard time, but I ended up going with the Wolves. I think we have the exact same list because uh, of the same fears that you had of like, I don't really want to play LeBron or Luka in a winner-take-all game. Those guys are monsters. So if I can take Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, even though he just came back, I'll take the Thunder's chances in that. I think they, they're just more a more stable team and a better coach team, but it should be interesting coming down the stretch. And then the final two... Um, I'll have the same as you, where I have the Mavericks at third. Luka versus Shea, Luka versus Dort would be really interesting. I think that would be almost like a game of first one to 150 between the two teams in regulation because there's just no way they're guarding each other. Yeah, yeah. But but at the same time, like the Thunder has had success against the Mavs this year. And I don't want to say no one's in Luka's head, but... Thor kind of is in Luca's head. I mean, after the after that first game, he said he's a top three defender in the NBA. I don't know if he had uh, populated this list of who's one and two, but just to say something like that, that gives Dort confidence, and that tells everyone. Uh, I, I mean, I think Thunder fans would be reminding Luca uh, of of that quote in, in that matchup. And listen, as much as I, the lack of joy I have while watching Luka Doncic is uh, it's depressing. But at the same time, I respect him <laughs> and understand that, that he is one of those guys who could who could just, you know, have his hands all over a game and there's nothing you can do about it. Almost like what Kawhi did last night. Like, what are you going to do? Um, but the Thunder has about as good of a matchup as possible if anyone can contain Luka. Um, Lou Dort, Lou likes guarding those bigger guys who aren't going to like, you know, run around the three point line and all the softball movement. Like he can, he can stick with a guy like Luca. So I actually like that, that matchup. The, the Wolves thing is interesting to me because going back to the first game of the regular season, we saw Kenrich Williams start in that matchup. Obviously there's no Kenrich Williams now. Um, then Towns has been out. So it's like, you don't really know what this matchup looks like with both of those guys in there um you, you know poku was poku also started in that first game so from a matchup standpoint i think that one could give the thunder some problems and they would really maybe they would go all in on small ball and really try to bring those guys out from the rim and 
um, take him off the dribble. But that's the one to me that's like the most wild card as far as like the matchup goes. Yeah, I agree with that. And then as far as the Mavericks, I think it's going to be really interesting because I think you're going to see constant scenarios if they play Dallas of where is J. Will or whoever in just isolations over and over and over. I know that we saw that Dort just refused to switch the other night on Tuesday whenever Kawhi was trying to get off of him on the ball towards the end of the game. But I think it's going to be very, very hard in a playoff scenario to do that possession after possession. Mm-hmm. And the way that Luka and Kyrie like to isolate, I think, could be very dangerous. Yeah. Dallas is a team you can go small against, though. So, um, you know, maybe we maybe we see some of those lineups where... I mean, they they might try to put Giddy in the same situations, kind of like the Clippers did the other night, but could see a Giddy J-Dub front court with, you know, Shea out there, Dort out there, and whoever else. I'm ready for Shea at the five lineups. I think Mark has been hinting towards that. That's what we're getting to. He's probably got, well, I don't know. Does, I guess J-Dub probably has a longer wingspan, but it, it's got to be close. It's pretty similar, yeah. We need the press conference where the Thunder play the Mavericks where you start out by going, Luca, I don't like watching you, but I respect you. <laughs> and then that that's how you open it up. I think that's a great He's way. like, who the heck are you? It's like, yeah, what Luca really needs my respect. I, I'll tell you what, that's what he's worried about. He goes, I know that you've been getting a lot of flack from people about your relationship with the officials. I don't like it personally, but I just respect you. Joe Masato, the Oklahoman. Okay, how do you just, think you played tonight? <laughs> it just It just grates on me. <laughs> whining after whining after complaint after complaint. It's just like, my goodness. His usage anyway. percentage with the referees is higher than his usage percentage on the floor. Yeah, he's got a 100% usage percentage with the referees, as in he talks to them on every possession. Every possession ends with a with a chat to the referees. I would like to have Luca mic'd up for that just so we... I don't even want to read it. I just want the long transcript of everything he has said so you can just see the volume of words that have been exchanged between him and the referee in just one 48-minute game. If anyone wants to torture me, lock me in a room and, and play that audio or just play a play a loop, have a TV of, of Luca complaining possession after possession, I'd... I'd be a crazy man, Michael. Just Joe in a straight jacket with just audio <laughs> surrounding of just Luca complaining about various things. Oh boy. Although it'd be fun, you know, the the good old I thirty five series. It's you know there's no true rivalries really, but uh geographic rivalry. It, it it'd be it'd be really fun if that was the matchup. Luca yeah. complaints notwithstanding. Hopefully the Thunder can, in this play-in, playoff mix, develop a new rivalry. I think that's something that's been missed for them, other than the fact that it's like them yelling, uh, Thunder fans and Rockets fans yelling at each other about uh, tanking and who is worse and whose rebuild is better, but that's kind of an open, closed case now. Yeah, that's like the only, as far as like fan rivalries go, Like I don't think the Thunder like players care at all about that or even since it is a rivalry i think that's 100 percent driven by the fan base uh on both sides but that has been the rivalry although it's like it's just it's low-hanging fruit at this point um let's uh let's make one up now okay so uh, among those playoff teams playing teams who would be I don't know who like who would be a, a natural rival at this stage. That 
There's really not an easy teams. like like Memphis is another they're, they're ahead obviously of the rebuild. Um, there was a lot of like, would you rather have Shea? Would you rather have Ja? I but there there really just hasn't been a moment between those teams. Timberwolves, I haven't really felt any tingling there. Pels, no. Jazz, Jazz always kind of feel like a rival. Blazers are just at a different stage. Yeah, no one, uh, it's a bad question I ask because I, I think the answer is nobody. No, I like the Grizzlies idea. And then, you know, obviously Luka is a better player than Shea. Every GM would take him over that. I don't think that's a wild concept or, um, idea but you have the thing where we've talked about where it's Lou Dorton, Luca and Jache and Luca being in the same draft class, two guys playing in completely different ways where they both isolate a lot but Luca is less team involved at least in my eyes than Jache, so maybe that turns into something but yeah, there's there's no cr- uh, clear line of like oh this is obviously where the next rivalry comes from but hopefully that's something that we see soon because that's something that the Thunder fans have missed for a while. There's no real rivalries. I mean, the last one that they had was um, the Warriors, and that's been a very, very long time. Yeah. Yeah, that one stood out. Um, Memphis was a rival for for a while, uh, just with those battles that they had. Um, but, but yeah, these, these rivalries sort of come and go. Um, maybe if the Rockets get Victor Wimbanyama, that would... Uh, that would vault them to number one on the rivalry rung because then, then it's a fair fight. Right now, it's not a fair fight. But if you get the big Frenchman, it might be a fair fight. So uh, maybe the one, the one reason Thunder fans might want the Rockets to get Victor. Uh, no, never mind. Um, that 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 won't happen. Thunder fans hate the Rockets fans for for some reason. But anyway, I I I, I digress. One that I didn't, we didn't bring up, but would be fun. Maybe a friendly rivalry would be the Kings and the Beam the team. The Kings. That would be so much fun. Yeah, that would be fun. And uh, you know, Sacramento and Oklahoma City are, are pretty similar. Um, the two places, both smaller markets, both, you know, the Thunder has had considerably more success, but both known as places that get rocking when their teams are good. So um yeah I could see that little little small market rivalry the beam team against the the uh the thunder because they don't have a they don't have any I was trying to find something that rhymed with beam but they don't have any gimmicks thunder's not a big gimmicks team I'll tell you that they're going to keep it on the on the straight and narrow when it comes to in game ops that that's your job you're going to come up with the whatever the light the beam equivalent is um start the shock whatever it is that's pretty good. They 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 have that um in the intros they have that little lightning bolt that like the electricity. We'll we'll never, figure it out. Never we'll get really knew discussion. how that worked, but yeah yeah we'll 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 see. Yeah, they do it and they play it to like the music and stuff. I have no idea how how it works. It's, it's basically witchcraft to me. But oh any, man. We'll we'll wrap this up pretty soon before you and I get down some deep uh, rabbit holes here, but yeah, the Lakers I think are the toughest matchup. Anthony Davis and LeBron is a combination when they are right, it's hard to beat and positionally they just match up really well against the Thunder. So I think that's the team that I'd least want to play. Is there anything else I missed on that front that you'd like to talk about with the Lakers? No, it seems like we we have the same list and are kind of in the same headspace. 
there. I mean, I, I think the key more so than matchups for the Thunder is just getting in that 7-8 game. It's just a huge advantage. I mean, it's double elimination at that point, whereas the 9-10 game is, is win or go home. So, um, And then if you win the 9-10 game, you still have to play another game, whereas if you win the 7-8 game, you're, you're in the playoffs. So that, that would be my only thing. But, man, it's just so jumbled right now, it's, it's impossible to predict predict i feel the same way and then um i know there was some talk about it last night i think you talked to shay about it but is there any update on his um chances of playing again tonight well uh i know this is gonna have a short shelf life but it sounds like he's going to play um the thunder a couple nights ago mark dignall said uh it's on the table that shay's gonna play in back-to-backs now he missed the the last two second night of the back-to-back as he's been nursing that abdominal strain Shea said he felt good after the game and he said if I feel like I feel now I'll play Uh, but he said sometimes he can wake up and be really sore so um, if 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 Shea is feeling good right now as we speak I I expect him to play against the Lakers Uh, hopefully that happens that'd be really fun even if they're uh, not going to have LeBron. We get to see Austin Reeves versus the Thunder and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I know you will be in the edge of your seat in uh, the, the crypt watching that. It's it's every Oklahoman's favorite matchup right there, those two guys going at it. Just two hometown boys, that's for sure. <laughs> but do you have anything else to plug before we get out of here, Joe? Um, I know this has been a much-discussed topic, but I'm kind of uh, trying to dive deep into it. The The very niche defensive stat of drawing illegal screens and just how Lou Dort has almost exploited that so much more than any other player in the NBA has. And it's like, it's like a part of his defensive genius that is harder to to recognize because, you know, he's done that 70 plus times and think every single one of those is a turnover, a wasted possession. So it's like, you might view it as a ticky tack whistle. Um, but it, it's like, it's a legit tool in, in his uh, defensive tool bag. So uh, talk to Mark Dagnalt about that. Talk to some of Dort's teammates about that. So should have a story on uh, Sunday, I think. That should be fun. I laughed out loud on Tuesday night when uh, Russell Westbrook finally set a screen up top, and it happened to be on the wrong guy. It was on Lou Dort, and he was immediately called for a moving screen. I was like, that is just... That's just poetic, Jess. That's hilarious. Russ finally sets a screen. It's like, no, not him. No, not that guy. <laughs> yeah, you... Uh, if you're not if you're not there and you're not setting a hard screen, he's gonna make you pay. And like a lot of it is just like hustle and trying to blow up a screen and get that call. A lot of it is also theatrics and uh Dort has done a good job at selling those and now it's like an offensive player gets a reputation for drawing fouls. Dort has a defensive reputation where like refs see that no, he gets that call all the time, and they're they're going to give it to him as well. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a interesting little little subplot in the Thunder's defense. But anyways, it should be fun tonight. Um, we need to get you back home to Oklahoma City. I know that you're enjoying your time in L.A., but the Thunder will come back and play against the Hornets and the Pistons Tuesday and Wednesday night. But we have a, a fun one, it sounds like, tonight against the Lakers. Yeah, fun one tonight against the Lakers, Sunday at the Blazers, and then, uh, yeah, coming home for a couple of game so uh really a fun next two weeks of basketball coming up yep and we'll have all the coverage for you right here with the thunder buddies and the oklahoma and where you can read all of joe's stuff all of barry's things you can listen to these podcasts 
But remember to rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Tell your friends about us. Um, you can follow our podcast feed on Twitter at ThunderbudPod. And thank you again for li- uh, thank you all again for listening. And we'll be back again for more Thunder news and content on Tuesday. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.